I'm Pastor John Peterson. I'm Pastor Luke Ulrich. And I'm Vicar Jacob Kempfert. The Mount Olive Mankato podcast is your weekly message of peace with God through Jesus Christ. We welcome you to join us on Sundays in Mankato to experience the friendship of our congregation and Christ's love. For service times or to learn more about Mount Olive, visit us at mountolivelutheran.org. That's mtolivelutheran.org. And now it's time for your weekly message of peace with God through Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We're sitting here gathered together on the edge of a new year. It's the perfect time to talk about circumcision. What? It seems rather awkward and out of place, doesn't it, for us to uh, spend our time here this evening talking about this certain medical procedure. Pastor, are you sure you want to talk about circumcision here tonight? And the answer is yes, I do. I think it's important for us to see why this topic is found throughout the scriptures. We should understand, we should appreciate the biblical significance behind it, and also especially behind Christ's own circumcision. And please realize, this isn't some arbitrary choice that I am making to talk about this topic with you. I haven't been burning to talk with you about it in any great, with any great desire. The reason why it is before us tonight is because it follows along with the Christmas account. It's seasonal. At, uh, as we heard in our gospel account, in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, the gospel lesson for this evening. It said, after eight days passed, the child was circumcised. He was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so then traditionally, Christians, on the eighth day of Christmas, they would gather together and they would consider the great meaning and significance of this event that took place on the eighth day after Christ was born. They celebrated the feast day of the circumcision and naming of Christ, which just so happens to fall on our civic holiday of New Year's. But ultimately, as we consider and as we'll see, uh, as I hope that we'll see, this event, this uh, circumcision of our Lord, really gives us a great reason to approach our New Year with optimism and with joy. Still, we might feel that it's focusing on circumcision. It might seem strange and out of place. But really, that was the whole point that God was making behind this Old Testament institution of circumcision. God was wanting his people to seem strange, to seem out of place, or rather to seem set apart, different from the rest of the people around them. He wanted them to be marked in a special way that reminded them that they, that they belonged to God. Especially in the Old Testament, God liked to work with concrete examples, concrete lessons. For example, we, we think about the ceremonial law, especially the, uh, the sacrifices that the Old Testament people made. These were all concrete teaching tools that God instituted and put before them. And he did so with with a very specific purpose in mind. He wanted to point them to their own sinfulness, but also, more importantly, 
to his grace. St. Paul, later on in, in Colossians chapter 2, he explained this all. When he said all of these things, they were a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, found in Christ. And so all of these Old Testament practices, including circumcision, they were designed to point the people ahead to their coming Savior. The first place we hear about circumcision in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 17. God is giving these promises to Abraham concerning the covenant that he had made with him, promises concerning his grace and, and, uh, of, of Abraham's offspring. And God establishes then circumcision to be a sign, a pledge, a token, this constant, daily, intensely personal reminder of the covenant that God was making and that God would fulfill with Abraham and to his descendants. In Genesis chapter 17, God says, Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Circumcision, it was designed by God to be a mark, a mark of the covenant that was made with Abraham. God had promised to send a Savior to redeem mankind after the fall, and he promised that that Savior would be a seed of Abraham. And by cutting away the foreskin, male Israelites then received a visible sign of this promise that God was going to send a Savior, born of a woman. There was no Hebrew male that could live a day without being reminded of this promise of the gospel. And every act of intimacy between husband and wife that would produce offspring, it would illustrate the hope that God was working to restore creation and to redeem all people with a specific future offspring. It was a reminder to the people of God's promise. That's what its purpose was. It wasn't ever about the act itself, as if it was something that the people did to make God happy. Instead, it was about having God's mark upon you, to remind you in this very intimate and personal way that you belonged to God, that you were one of God's chosen people. Circumcision, it was also a reminder to God's people that, that self-sacrifice, that blood, that pain would all be a part of their redemption. The one being circumcised, usually an eight-day-old boy, would have to feel and experience these things in a small part. But again, it was never about their own self-sacrifice, their own blood or pain that God was requiring. Instead, it was to remind them of that one who would be coming, who would experience these things in full. The coming Messiah, who would experience full self-sacrifice, blood, and pain. And we know, of course, according to Scripture, that this was fulfilled in Christ Jesus who in our gospel lesson, even just a single verse, we hear this profound thing that takes place. Jesus, even as a baby at eight days old, 
he was willing to subject himself to pain and to blood. He was the very Son of God who had descended into our world to take on flesh for the very purpose of self-sacrifice. The hymn that we just sang a few moments ago stated it well. O blessed day when first was poured the blood of our redeeming Lord. O blessed day when Christ began his saving work for sinful man. Later on, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, St. Paul, he was ministering and starting churches. He had to deal with this topic of circumcision a lot. It was, a, it was, in fact, one of the first major controversies that the church had to deal with. The question over whether God's people would continue uh, the necessity of being circumcised into the New Testament era. What St. Paul writes to the Galatians, uh, especially in chapter 4, it ties in so well to the circumcision of Christ, and it really reveals to us the, the meaning and the significance behind Christ's own circumcision. The verse is familiar to us. We heard it at Christmas time. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. When the time had fully come, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we would receive the adoption as sons. Jesus even here at eight days old, was subjecting himself to the laws of God, even here to this law of circumcision. And he did so for our sake, to take our place. He did so, as Paul explains there, to redeem us so that we might be God's own children. Dear friends, when we think about covenants, covenants are usually two-sided agreements, right? We see that God here makes a covenant with Abraham and with Israel. And he now continues even still today with that covenant with us who are spiritual Israel. But what about our side of the covenant? We've already admitted tonight that we have not lived up to our side of that covenant at all. But glory be to God, our Lord Jesus Christ. He even here at eight days old, at his circumcision, he came for us in our place. He fulfilled that covenant for you and me. As we sang also in that hymn, the great lawgiver for our aid, obedient to the law, is made. Already at eight days old, carrying out this ritual, Jesus is beginning his work of complete self-sacrifice, of blood and pain, and he was doing that for you and for me, for us. He begins down that path here at eight days old that would come to a conclusion 30-some years later when he would be nailed to a cross, offering his blood, offering his pain, offering complete, total self-sacrifice, offering his entire life to redeem us, to buy us back from sin and death. All of those who had been previously circumcised, they had been waiting for this one, this coming one who would be circumcised for them as the one who would come to take their place, the one who would be a perfect substitute fulfilling the law that they had failed to fulfill. And as an innocent substitute, 
He would be the one who was sacrificed in order to pay for the crimes and sins that they had committed. In the Old Testament, circumcision was designed by God to tie his people to Jesus, that coming Savior. Circumcision was meant to be a daily reminder to them of God's forgiveness and grace that would be coming for them. So what about us now? What about us who live after Jesus' time? Should God's people still today be circumcised, undergoing this medical procedure for spiritual reasons? No. This is a ceremonial law that's no longer in effect. As Paul already explained, the reality has been found in Christ. Jesus has now come. Circumcision has been fulfilled in him. But for you and me, the comfort... The meaning, the significance of circumcision, it is still available and flowing to us. It still continues to belong to us. And that's because God has now established a new circumcision for us. One that sets us apart from the world. One that marks us as his own children. It's not something that we do for God, but it's instead something that he does for us so that even a helpless little infant can receive this from God. We're talking, of course, about the gift of baptism. And just as circumcision was a daily personal reminder to the Israelites that they belonged to God, that they possessed God's forgiveness, his love, his goodwill, you and I, who are spiritual descendants of Abraham, we are assured that we belong to God and that we possess God's forgiveness, love, and goodwill as we remember and recall the fact that we have been baptized into Christ and into his circumcision. St. Paul talks about that in Colossians 2. He explains, in him you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your sinful self ruled by the flesh was cut off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Dear friends, you and I, we have received this new circumcision in our baptisms. In baptism, the name of Jesus is placed upon us, and we are tied to him, our Savior, in this most intimate kind of way. The name that was given to Jesus when he was eight days old, at that time when he was circumcised, that name given, Jesus, which means our deliverer, our savior, it is a name that now in our baptism gets written upon our own hearts. So when God looks at those, when God looks at you who have been baptized, who in faith love your baptism, he no longer sees a sinful person. Instead, he sees you his own righteous child as that one who has fulfilled your side of the covenant because Jesus fulfilled it for you and for me. In baptism, everything that Christ did when he was born under the law to redeem those under the law, it becomes yours. It's shared with you and me. We share in this spiritual circumcision. Our sinful flesh, it is removed and cut off 
before God in God's eyes. We are his own people. And this is a wonderful thing for you and me to consider, especially as we walk into a new year. We are God's own people. You belong to him. There is this standing covenant between us and God. And our side of the covenant, it's already been fulfilled. We can't do anything to mess it up. Jesus already fulfilled it for you in your place. We have God's assurance. We have his promise. We have received this new circumcision of baptism. And that gives us comfort, doesn't it? What do we have to worry about? We have assurance. We have hope. We can step into this new year with complete optimism and joy. You and I, we possess peace with God. And this is shared with us in concrete ways that we get to experience with our own senses, just as we do here tonight as we gather around the altar and we heard God's messengers speak directly to us, your sins are forgiven. Or as in a few moments we will gather again around this altar and we get to taste and see that the Lord is good as he shares Christ Jesus' own body and blood with us. And with it, we receive this pledge, this token from God, the assurance that our sins are completely removed from us. We are tied to Christ. We also enter the new year rejoicing in our baptisms. And every day of this new year, I would encourage you to do as our catechism teaches. Return daily to the fact that you have been baptized. Drown that old Adam and let that new man in you that belongs to God rise up to joyful, godly living. Dear friends, it's kind of awkward talking about circumcision, but I think it's incredibly beneficial for us to consider this thing that God himself instituted for his people, to value the fact that he gave that gift to his Old Testament people, and that Christ also came and underwent circumcision in order to redeem us, he subjected himself to God's law. But we also rejoice and we find great comfort today and throughout the new year and always throughout our lives with the fact that we now share in the new circumcision. We have been baptized into Christ. What confidence that gives us knowing that we are God's set-apart, holy people. All glory be to him. Amen.